Welcome, everybody, to Socratica Reads. I'm Kimberly Hatch Harrison, the co-founder of Socratica. What do we do at Socratica? We're dreaming up the education of the future. It's hard sometimes not to get mired in the issues of today. How do you keep your eye on where we want to go? This is one of the real benefits of science fiction. It allows you to think freely. I don't mean in denial about reality, or that you become unreasonable or illogical, just that you can think about what the world could be like if we leapfrog over some of the roadblocks that are keeping us stuck here. That's why my podcast, Socratica Reads, is focused on science fiction. I'm collecting the stories that have inspired me and inspired our work at Socratica. One of my guiding lights, my North Star, is Ray Bradbury. I started this podcast a year ago today on Ray Bradbury's 100th birthday. It's a year later, and of course, I am still looking to Bradbury to remind myself. There's something about that man that keeps the curious child alive in me. It's not just Bradbury. It seems like the universe is conspiring. Something amazing happened to me this month. I just got back from a visit to Laramie, Wyoming, where I was invited to take part in a very special workshop called Launchpad Astronomy. It's run by two astronomy professors, Mike Brotherton and Christian Reddy. You might recognize Mike Brotherton from his other life as a writer of hard sci-fi, like Star Dragon and Spider Star. Christian Reddy you might know as your friendly neighborhood astronomer from his YouTube channel Launchpad Astronomy. These two fellows lead a small class of writers every year in this crash course on astronomy. It's their gift to the world. <laughs> if you're tired of terrible mistakes in science fiction, these are your new heroes. This is their way to fight back and try to inject a little reality and real science into the creative projects you'll see on the big screen and read in science fiction stories. I'll include a link in the description so you can see how many extraordinary creators have been through this program. You know I was in heaven because it was back to school time. We spent a whole week in a college classroom learning about black holes, quasars, the birth of stars, the expansion of the universe, some basics of relativity, cosmology, you know, all the good stuff. And we got to do a little telescoping. We went up to the mountains to this observatory where there were true dark skies. We saw the Milky Way and some sneaky little fireballs. We saw Saturn and its rings, Jupiter and the Galilean moons, and red Mars. I thought a lot about Ray Bradbury while I was there, how much he loved space and the people who bring space to us. I remembered the epitaph to the Martian Chronicles. It is good to renew one's wonder, said the philosopher. Space travel has again made children of us all. The Martian Chronicles is not a novel. It's a compilation of stories. But they're not the stories you might expect about human space exploration or what happens when people finally arrive on Mars. In your typical science fiction story, we'd hear all the details about the special new rocket and the specific flight path, the complications of orbital mechanics, and so on. In these Mars stories, Bradbury says the rocket takes off and then the rocket lands. Meanwhile, a Martian woman dreams of an earthly man 
and realizes something terrible about her Martian husband. Or how about the second story? Imagine if you went on a rocket to Mars and you arrived and nobody cared. I'm going to read you an excerpt from this beautiful little story. Are you ready? Let's begin. August 1999. The Earthmen. Whoever was knocking at the door didn't want to stop. Mrs. Tititit threw the door open. Well? You speak English! The man standing there was astounded. I speak what I speak, she said. It's wonderful English! The man was in uniform. There were three men with him, in a great hurry, all smiling, all dirty. What do you want? demanded Mrs. Tititit. You are a Martian, the man smiled. The word is not familiar to you, certainly. It's an Earth expression. He nodded at his men. We are from Earth. I'm Captain Williams. We landed on Mars within the hour. Here we are, the second expedition. There was a first expedition, but we don't know what happened to it. But here we are, anyway. And you are the first Martian we've met. Martian? Her eyebrows went up. What I mean to say is, you live on the fourth planet from the sun, correct? Elementary, she snapped, eyeing them. And we, he pressed his chubby pink hand to his chest, we are from Earth, right men? Right, sir, a chorus. This is the planet Tur, she said, if you want to use the proper name. Tur, Tur, the captain laughed exhaustedly. What a fine name. But, my good woman, how is it you speak with such perfect English? I'm not speaking, I'm thinking, she said. Telepathy, good day. And she slammed the door. A moment later, there was that dreadful man knocking again. She whipped the door open. What now? she wondered. The man was still there, trying to smile, looking bewildered. He put out his hands. I don't think you understand. What? she snapped. The man gazed at her in surprise. We're from Earth. I haven't time, she said. I've a lot of cooking today, and there's cleaning and sewing and all. You evidently wish to see Mr. Tititit. He's upstairs in his study. Yes, said the Earth man confusedly, blinking. But by all means, let us see Mr. Tititit. He's busy. She slammed the door again. This time, the knock on the door was most impertinently loud. See here, cried the man when the door was thrust open again. He jumped in as if to surprise her. This is no way to treat visitors. All over my clean floor, she cried. Mud, get out. If you come in my house, wash your boots first. The man looked in dismay at his muddy boots. This, he said, is no time for trivialities. I think, he said, we should be celebrating. He looked at her for a long time, as if looking might make her understand. If you've made my crystal buns fall in the oven, she exclaimed, I'll hit you with a piece of wood. She peered into a little hot oven. She came back, red, steamy-faced. Her eyes were sharp yellow. Her skin was soft brown. She was thin and quick as an insect. Her voice was metallic and sharp. Wait here. I'll see if I can let you have a moment with Mr. Tititit. What was your business? The man swore luridly, as if she'd hit his hand with a hammer. Tell him we're from Earth, and it's never been done before. What hasn't? She put her brown hand up. Never mind. I'll be back. The sound of her feet fluttered through the stone house. Outside, the immense blue Martian sky was hot and still as a warm, deep sea water. 
The Martian desert lay broiling like a prehistoric mud pot, waves of heat rising and shimmering. There was a small rocket ship reclining upon a hilltop nearby. Large footprints came from the rocket to the door of this stone house. Now there was a sound of quarreling voices upstairs. The men within the door stared at one another, shifting on their boots, twiddling their fingers, and holding onto their hip belts. A man's voice shouted upstairs. The woman's voice replied. After fifteen minutes, the Earthmen began walking in and out the kitchen door, with nothing to do. Cigarette, said one of the men. Somebody got out a pack and they lit up. They puffed slow streams of pale white smoke. They adjusted their uniforms, fixed their collars. The voices upstairs continued to mutter and chant. The leader of the men looked at his watch. Twenty-five minutes, he said. I wonder what they're up to up there. He went to a window and looked out. Hot day, said one of the men. Yeah, said someone else in the slow, warm time of early afternoon. The voices had faded to a murmur and were now silent. There was not a sound in the house. All the men could hear was their own breathing. An hour of silence passed. I hope we didn't cause any trouble, said the captain. He went and peered into the living room. Mrs. Tititu was there, watering some flowers that grew in the center of the room. I knew I had forgotten something, she said when she saw the captain. She walked out to the kitchen. I'm sorry. She handed him a slip of paper. Mr. Tititu is much too busy. She turned to her cooking. Anyway, it's not Mr. Tititu you want to see. It's Mr. Aaa. Take that paper over to the next farm by the Blue Canal, and Mr. Aaa will advise you about whatever it is you want to know. We don't want to know anything, objected the captain, pouting out his thick lips. We already know it. You have the paper. What more do you want? She asked him straight off, and she would say no more. Well, said the captain, reluctant to go. He stood as if waiting for something. He looked like a child, staring at an empty Christmas tree. Well, he said again. Come on, men. The four men stepped out into the hot, silent day. Half an hour later, Mr. Aa, seated in his library, sipping a bit of electric fire from a metal cup, heard the voices outside in the stone causeway. He leaned over the windowsill and gazed at the four uniformed men who squinted up at him. Are you Mr. Aa? they called. I am. Mr. Tetata sent us to see you, shouted the captain. Why did he do that? asked Mr. Aa. He was busy. Well, that's a shame, said Mr. Aa, sarcastically. Does he think I have nothing else to do but entertain people he's too busy to bother with? That's not the important thing, sir, shouted the captain. Well, it is to me. I have much reading to do. Mr. Tetata is inconsiderate. This is not the first time he has been this thoughtless of me. Stop waving your hands, sir, until I finish. And pay attention. People usually listen to me when I talk, and you'll listen courteously or I won't talk at all. Uneasily, the four men in the court shifted and opened their mouths, and once the captain, the veins on his face bulging, showed a few little tears in his eyes. Now, lectured Mr. Aa, do you think it fair of Mr. Tititit to be so ill-mannered? The four men gazed up through the heat. The captain said, We're from Earth. I think it very ungentlemanly of him, brooded Mr. Aa. A rocket ship. We came in it. Over there. Not the first time Tititit has been unreasonable, you know. All the way from Earth. Why, for half a mind, I'd call him up and tell him off. Just the four of us. Myself and these three men. My crew. I'll call him up. Yes, that's what I'll do. Earth, rocket, men, trip, space. Call him and give him a good lashing, cried Mr. Aa. Uh -uh. 
He vanished like a puppet from a stage. For a minute, there were angry voices back and forth over some weird mechanism or other. Below, the captain and his crew glanced longingly back at their pretty rocket ship lying on the hillside, so sweet and lovely and fine. Mr. Uh-uh jerked up in the window, wildly triumphant. Challenged him to do a duel, by the gods, a duel! Mr. Uh-uh-uh, the captain started all over again, quietly. I'll shoot him dead, do you hear? Mr. Uh-uh-uh, I'd like to tell you, we came sixty million miles. Mr. Uh-uh regarded the captain for the first time. Where'd you say you were from? The captain flashed a white smile. Aside to his men, he whispered, Now we're getting somewhere. To Mr. Uh-uh-uh, he called, We traveled sixty million miles from Earth. Mr. Uh-uh-uh yawned. That's only fifty million miles this time of year. He picked up a frightful-looking weapon. Well, I have to go now. Just take that silly note, though I don't know what good it'll do you, and go over that hill into the little town of Yopur and tell Mr. Ee all about it. He's the man you want to see. Not Mr. Tittita, he's an idiot. I'm going to kill him. Not me, because you're not in my line of work. Line of work? Line of work? bleated the captain. Do you have to be in a certain line of work to welcome Earthmen? Don't be silly, everyone knows that. Mr. Uh-uh rushed downstairs. Goodbye. And down the causeway he raced, like a pair of wild callipers. The four travelers stood shocked. Finally, the captain said, We'll find someone yet who will listen to us. Maybe we could go out and come in again, said one of the men in a dreamy voice. Maybe we should take off and land again. Give them time to organize a party. It might be a good idea, murmured the tired captain. The little town was full of people drifting in and out of doors, saying hello to one another, wearing golden masks and blue masks and crimson masks for pleasant variety, masks with silver lips and bronze eyebrows, masks that smiled or masks that frowned, according to the owner's dispositions. The four men, wet from their long walk, paused and asked a little girl where Mr. Ee's house was. There, the child nodded her head. The captain got eagerly, carefully, down on one knee, looking into her sweet young face. Little girl, I want to talk to you. He seated her on his knee and folded her small brown hands neatly in his own big ones, as if ready for a bedtime story, which he was shaping in his mind slowly and with a great patient happiness in details. Well, here's how it is, little girl. Six months ago, another rocket came to Mars. There was a man named York in it, and his assistant. Whatever happened to them, we don't know. Maybe they crashed. They came in a rocket. So did we. You should see it, a big rocket. So, we're the second expedition, following up the first. And we came all the way from Earth. The little girl disengaged one hand without thinking about it and clapped an expressionless golden mask over her face. Then she pulled forth a golden spider toy and dropped it to the ground while the captain talked on. The toy spider climbed back up to her knee obediently while she speculated upon it coolly through the slits of her emotionless mask, and the captain shook her gently and urged his story upon her. We're Earth men, he said. Do you believe me? Yes. The little girl peeped at the way she was wiggling her toes in the dust. Fine. The captain pinched her arm, a little bit with joviality, a little bit with meanness to get her to look at him. We built our own rocket ship. Do you believe that? The little girl dug in her nose with a finger. Yes. 
and take your finger out of your nose, little girl. I am the captain, and never before in history has anybody come across space in a big rocket ship, recited the little creature, eyes shut. Wonderful! How did you know? Oh, telepathy. She wiped a casual finger on her knee. Well, aren't you just ever so excited? cried the captain. Aren't you glad? You just better go see Mr. E.E.E. -E -E right away. She dropped her toy to the ground. Mr. E.E.E. -E -E will like talking to you. She ran off, with the toy spider scuttling obediently after her. The captain squatted there, looking after her with his hand out. His eyes were watery in his head. He looked at his empty hands. His mouth hung open. The other three men stood with their shadows under them. They spat on the stone street. Mr. E.E.E. -E -E answered his door. He was on his way to a lecture, but he had a minute if they would hurry inside and tell him what they desired. A little attention, said the captain, red-eyed and tired. We're from Earth. We have a rocket. There are four of us, crew and captain. We're exhausted. We're hungry. We'd like a place to sleep. We'd like someone to give us the key to the city or something like that. And we'd like somebody to shake our hands and say, Hooray and congratulations, old man. That about sums it up. Mr. E.E. -E -E was a tall, vaporous, thin man with thick, blind blue crystals over his yellowish eyes. He bent over his desk and brooded upon some papers, glancing now and again with extreme penetration at his guests. Well, I, I haven't the forms with me here, I don't think, he rummaged through his desk drawers. Now where did I put the forms, he mused. Somewhere, somewhere. Oh, here we are, now. He handed the papers over crisply. You'll have to sign these papers, of course. Do we have to go through all this rigmarole? Mr. E.E. -E gave him a thick, glassy look. You say you're from Earth, don't you? Well, then there's nothing for it, but you sign. The captain wrote his name. Do you want my crew to sign also? Mr. E.E.E. -E -E looked at the captain, looked at the three others, and burst into a shout of derision. Them sign? <laughs> How marvelous! Them! Oh, them sign! Tears sprang from his eyes. He slapped his knee and bent to let his laughter jerk out of his gaping mouth. He held himself up with his desk. <laughs> them sign! The four men scowled. What's funny? Them sign, sighed Mr. E.E.E., -E -E, weak with hilarity. So very funny. I'll have to tell Mr. XXX about this. He examined the filled-out form, still laughing. Everything seems to be in order, he nodded. Even the agreement for euthanasia, if final decision on such a step is necessary, he chuckled. Agreement for what? Don't talk. I have something for you. Here, take this key. The captain flushed. It's a great honor. Not the key to the city, you fool, snapped Mr. E.E. -E. Just a key to the house. Go down that corridor, unlock the big door, and go inside and shut the door tight. You can spend the night there. In the morning, I'll send Mr. XXX to see you. Dubiously, the captain took the key in hand. He stood looking at the floor. His men did not move. They seemed to be emptied of all their blood and their rocket fever. They were drained dry. What is it? What's wrong? inquired Mr. E.E.E. -E -E. What are you waiting for? What do you want? He came and peered up into the captain's face, stooping. Out with it, you. I don't suppose you could even, suggested the captain. I mean, that is, try to, or, or even think about. He hesitated. We've worked hard. We've come a long way. And maybe you could just shake our hands and say, well done. Do you think? His voice faded. Mr. E.E. -E stuck out his hand stiffly. Congratulations, he smiled a cold smile. 
Congratulations. He turned away. I must go now. Use that key. Without noticing them again, as if they had melted down through the floor, Mr. Ee moved about the room, packing a little manuscript case with papers. He was in the room another five minutes, but never again addressed the solemn quartet that stood with heads down, their heavy legs sagging, the light dwindling from their eyes. When Mr. Ee went out the door, he was busy looking at his fingernails. They straggled along the corridor in the dull, silent afternoon light. They came to a large, burnished silver door, and the silver key opened it. They entered, shut the door, and turned. They were in a vast, sunlit hall. Men and women sat at tables and stood in convening groups. At the sound of the door, they regarded the four uniformed men. One Martian stepped forward, bowing. I am Mr. Uu, he said. And I am Captain Jonathan Williams of New York City on Earth, said the captain, without emphasis. Immediately the hall exploded. The rafters trembled with shouts and cries. The people, rushing forward, waved and shrieked happily, knocking down tables, swarming, rollicking, seizing the four earth men, lifting them swiftly to their shoulders. They charged about the hall six times, six times making a full and wonderful circuit of the room, jumping, bounding, singing. The Earthmen were so stunned that they rode the toppling shoulders for a full minute before they began to laugh and shout at each other. Hey, this is more like it. This is the life, boy. Yay! Yow! Whoopee! They winked tremendously at each other. They flung up their hands to clap the air. Hey! Hooray! said the crowd. They set the Earthmen on a table. The shouting died. The captain almost broke into tears. Thank you. It's good. It's good. Tell us about yourselves, suggested Mr. Uu. The captain cleared his throat. The audience owed and awed as the captain talked. He introduced his crew, each made a small speech, and was embarrassed by the thunderous applause. Mr. Uu clapped the captain's shoulder. It's good to see another man from Earth. I am from Earth also. How was that again? There are many of us here from Earth. You? From, from Earth? The captain stared. But is that possible? Did you come by rocket? Has space travel been going on for centuries? His voice was disappointed. What, what country are you from? Dewey Ariel. I came by the spirit of my body years ago. Dewey Ariel. The captain mouthed the word. I don't know that country. What's this about the spirit of body? And Miss Err over there, she's from Earth too. Aren't you, Miss Err? Miss Err nodded and laughed strangely. And so is Mr. Ubu and Mr. Kukuku and Mr. Vuvuvu. I'm from Jupiter, declared one man, preening himself. I'm from Saturn, said another, eyes glinting slyly. Jupiter, Saturn, murmured the captain, blinking. It was very quiet now. The people stood around and sat at the tables, which were strangely empty for banquet tables. Their yellow eyes were glowing and there were dark shadows under their cheekbones. The captain noticed for the first time that there were no windows. The light seemed to permeate the walls. There was only one door. The captain winced. This is confusing. Where on earth is this twirl? Is it near America? What is America? You never heard of America? You say you're from Earth, and yet you don't know? Mr. Uu drew himself up angrily. Earth is a place of seas, and nothing but seas. There is no land. I am from Earth, and no. Wait a minute. The captain sat back. You look like a regular Martian. Yellow eyes. Brown skin. 
Earth is a place of all jungle, said Miss Err proudly. I'm from Orri, on Earth, a civilization built of silver. Now the captain turned his head from, and then to Mr. Oo, and then to Mr. Woo-woo-woo, and Mr. Zuzuzu, and Mr. Nanana, and Mr. Huhuhu, and Mr. Bububa. He saw their yellow eyes waxing and waning in the light, focusing and unfocusing. He began to shiver. Finally, he turned to his men and regarded them somberly. Do you realize what this is? What, sir? This is no celebration, replied the captain tiredly. This is no banquet. These aren't government representatives. This is no surprise party. Look at their eyes. Listen to them. Nobody breathed. There was only a soft white move of eyes in the close room. Now I understand. The captain's voice was far away. Why, everyone gave us notes and passed us on, one from the other, until we met Mr. E.E.E., who sent us down a corridor with a key to open a door and shut a door. And here we are. Where are we, sir? The captain exhaled. In an insane asylum. I wish Ray Bradbury were here to see the Martian expeditions and to see that double rocket landing footage from SpaceX, but we're seeing it for him. It is Ray Bradbury's 101st birthday. May he live forever. <laughs>